Welcome to the Queens of Moxie. I'm Mary Kay Campbell, the host of this program, and I'm so excited that you've decided to join us today. Every week, we bring amazing women to our podcast to talk about how they have stepped into joy and reclaimed their moxie and are living their authentic life. I want to get started, but before we do, I want to remind you to subscribe to the weekly email. Simply go to queensofmoxie.com and click on weekly inspiration. That way, every Monday morning, you'll get a link to the latest podcast, a beautiful image, and a fabulous quote. It's a great way to start out your week. So let's get started with today's podcast. So welcome to the Queens of Moxie. I am so excited to have Becky Stickley with me here today. Um, You know, if you've heard the podcast with Elizabeth, you know that I was part of a women's symposium um, in Shenandoah County, and I'm lucky enough to have also talked with Becky, and she was another one of the speakers, and I just thought she was dynamic and fabulous, and she was one of my favorite speakers at the event, and so I said, hey, will you come on my podcast with me? Uh, and she was nice enough to say yes, and I am, I'm really excited to have her here today um, to give you a little bit of background about Becky. She has her bachelor's from Christopher Newport in interdisciplinary studies, focusing primarily on leadership and communication, and then she got her master's in public administration from George Mason. Uh, she has a five-year-old daughter, and she's married, and um, what I think is really interesting is not many people can say that they worked with the Law Enforcement Association, um, and she did that for 12 years. And so I want to hear some of the dirt on working with law enforcement. Uh, I think that's always going to be really interesting. But Becky, thank you for joining us today. Oh, thank you so much. It is my pleasure to be here. It's it's like I said, it was so fun to listen to you when we were at that symposium. Um, I love your sense of humor, and I love the things that you talked about. Before we get into all of that, I'd like to know more about like, okay, you you get your master's degree and then you start working with a, a police association. How, how do you make that leap? Yeah. So funny enough, I actually got my master's degree while I was working there. Oh. Um, so I bounced around a little bit after college. I was a children's librarian. <laughs> And then decided that I was done with Shenandoah County life. I wanted to move to the big city of DC, Alexandria, Arlington. Um, So I moved up there, worked in a law firm for a little while, and I actually have a law enforcement family. Okay. So um, some people sent me this job posting when it came up. Um, The association I worked for is pretty well known within the law enforcement community. So some people sent me the job description. I was like, you know, that sounds like a lot of fun. It funny enough, combine some of the things I was doing at the library with um, some of the stuff I was doing at the law firm. So I applied and got it. And from there, I bounced around. I worked more on the programmatic side. Initially, I got a chance to work on the magazine, the conference. I worked in membership. And as I was moving up, I realized that I wanted to know more about kind of the association nonprofit management piece. And that's when I decided to go back to George Mason. So my master's in public administration does have a nonprofit focus. Um, And so those two things kind of came together and collided. That's great. That's great. So you were still in Northern Virginia at mm-hmm. that time. Yep. Um, so, so I want to know what's like the, some of the crazy stories that you heard as part of the association <laughs> there, you know, again, I came from a law enforcement family, so not a lot shocked me. Um, <laughs> You know, I worked, like I said, I worked on the programmatic side. So my first job there was teaching 
police officers how to use social media. Um, and so it was really coming into, this was about 12 years ago. So it was really coming more into like the public space of everybody using it, including companies and organizations. So I traveled all around the U.S., got to teach um, how to use Facebook and eventually Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, um, and probably not what you're going for, but one of my funniest um, or most interesting moments was I got to, I was so honored, I got to teach a class at the FBI National Academy. Um, and during one, you know, I was so nervous. It was one of the first times I had ever spoken. And during the break, three of the gentlemen came down and they were like, Becky McClelland, which is my maiden name. And I was like, yes, they're like, I remember you when you were this big. And Aww. like, because again, I'd grown up, um, you know, in a law enforcement family, I'd run around, you know, some of the local precincts and it was very embarrassing at the time, but you know, my boss got a good kick out of it. And it, it was, it was really fun to see everything come full circle. But, you know, I, I was there during, you know, a lot of the uh, upright on, unrest, some of the upheaval, um, social justice issues, COVID-19, um, and just seeing how different chiefs navigated that was really fascinating. Um, there, there's so much innovation that happens that we don't hear about in the police world. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, there's some not so great stuff. And so seeing how, you know, within that community it was dealt with was really interesting. Yeah. I mean, when you think about, um, the role that social media has played um, with with this unrest, um, and you know, there are going to be people who who say, "Look, we're finally holding people accountable because we now have video footage of it." Yep. Um, and and you know, I I think I think that's valid. You know, yeah, uh, absolutely. And and so, um, what were some of the challenges that you faced working with with this, these individuals, and you, you know, you talk about it's handled differently in different places. And obviously mm -hmm. that's, that's a big thing. So, so talk about that. Yeah. So it was a lot of know your audience, right. Um, and in the early days when I was there, you know, that was pre, um, some of way before some of this other stuff had happened. Meanwhile, you know, social media was coming about, there was new and emerging questions that had, that were being asked, um, within communities. And so, you know, a lot of it was anticipating questions and meeting people where they were. So, you know, you could go to one area and the chiefs were like, show me all the things I'm on it. I want my own handle. I want to show everything, you know, that's who we are as a community. And then you had others who were very, you know, hold back, you know, they, they saw their role as very different and like not necessarily being separate from the community, but being held to a higher standard. And so we couldn't be, you know, tweeting we can't show humor we can't do these things so it was really meeting people where they are and letting them develop their own voice without saying there's just one way to do this and you have to do it mm -hmm. um because again as an association and as myself we were in no place to be telling people what to do we were there as a resource um and so I think letting people see that they could still have their own voice and do it in their own way was really important. And so as that project went on and we developed more resources, we did start to show that, you know, there are some people who are very edited and very controlled on social media and, and that's who they are. That's their culture as an agency. And just mm -hmm. like cultures change or cultures are different among agencies, 
how they put themselves forward on social media is different and that's okay. Right. Um, and so it, it was really interesting to develop my voice as a trainer and as a resource while also this doing the same for them and showing them, Hey, you know what? It's okay. So I wouldn't just go in with like humor first, some in some places, <laughs> whereas other places that would be my lead in and they would love it and it would be great. And they would, you know, really see how they could use that um, for themselves. So it was a great course for me <laughs> in some ways. Okay. And also, you know, I'm glad that I could be that resource for them as they started to see. And, you know, now, you know, almost everyone has it, but back then it, it was, you know, isn't this just for college kids still? Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was interesting to watch it evolve. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. So, you know, you talk about you were as an association, it's across the country, is it not? Well, and this was an international association, but the, the project I worked on um, was funded by U.S. government. Um, so I only traveled within the U.S. I went all the way to Alaska, um, but it was, you know, solely for U.S. That's that's great. I mean, going to Alaska, that's fabulous. Yeah, it, it works. It was you can meet Alaska. I mean, what did you get to enjoy Alaska at least while you were there? I did get to enjoy it a little bit. Funny story on that. We were there for a couple days. And on the second day, we were walking around the downtown and some people like were looking at us funny. And so we, we were kind of started conversation and they thought we had moved there because it was in a port for cruise ships, but they never saw people more than once because the cruise ships would leave. So they were like, well, they're not a tourist, so they must be moved here. <laughs> That's pretty funny. There's not a lot again, It was really... It was really interesting to tailor to them because some of the people who came, it was a state association and some people within Alaska had just gotten cell phone service. Um, so, you know, this was a huge step for them, right. um, but also they were seeing it as a huge resource to be able to connect with communities that during certain parts of the year, they weren't connected to. Sure. So um, yet again, just really interesting to see how people used it. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we, you know, we've, we've, we take for granted so many things now, especially we're in the continental U S you know, yes. of course I'm going to be able to connect with you and drive over to your state or whatever, but yeah, yeah, there are, there are times of the year when you're there and you're not going anywhere. Right. That's, that's wild. So, um, you know, when we, when we met, you were talking about the impact that COVID 19 had on on what you were doing let's talk about that a little bit yeah so you know it had an impact in a couple ways and I was still with um, this association half of my team was actually in Minnesota so here I was in Virginia they were in Minnesota um, we were really working to kind of build a culture with them um, and I was a new boss to them so to speak and all you know I had this plan of going out you know at least quarterly, if not every other month, see them in person. Here were some things I was going to do. And all of a sudden it was like, you know, the curtain went down. It was like, no, you're going to see them through Zoom and that's it. So there was that piece that I had to deal with. And then the other piece of my team was um, member engagement. And we had, you know, looking spring to summer, because we were in March when all of this mm -hmm. happened, we had, I can't remember, but it was somewhere around like 12 to 15 meetings planned, some of which were pretty large. And again, all of a sudden that changed. And so it was really um, 
we didn't know like at one point we thought we were going home for maybe a, a couple weeks yeah we all did <laughs> which a lot of people <laughs> did right you know pack up your laptop you'll be back in a few weeks um and so again, there were so many fronts to deal with. There was the logistics, there were our members, they were dealing with whole new normals and we were needing to to meet them again where they are and help them engage in new ways while also not being separate from each other. Because one of the reasons we were bringing them together for all of these meetings was to share solutions and right. do all these things. They still needed to do that, even if they couldn't come together. So there was that piece. There was also the staff piece, you know, a lot of my staff were, were really grappling with being stuck at home, being stuck in small apartments in DC and, you know, the whole wellness aspect. And then again, the culture of having this remote team that was very remote now from us, right. a lot of fronts to be navigating all at once. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I think everybody was trying to, to figure out, yeah, you know, what, what does this look like and how do we navigate it? Um, but when you have, when you have a bunch of people who are scattered across and you're, you're an international organization, mm-hmm. um, and you're focused specifically on the U S that's, that's harder. That pro- provides yeah. unique opportunities. Um, and I think we all, we all face those and tried to, to navigate them and, and figure out the best that we could. Um, but while you were doing that, <clears throat> you started exploring more towards your own business. I did. Yes. And I would love to hear how that transition happened and and what you're doing with your business. Sure. So prior to that, so about, I'd say probably about a year prior, I had um, decided to get my coaching certification and that evolved out of a whole nother kind of work experience. Um, but I got that coaching certification and used it internally with my own team. I was fortunate enough to put on some trainings for some different staff. Um, and then as time went on, I took on a couple one-on-one clients. Some people in my local area found out that I was a coach and, and wanted some assistance and support. And, um, you know, I started taking on clients. And then in 2021, um, I decided, you know, it kind of hit that point where I was like, all right, I need to figure out which way I'm going. You know, I loved my job. I love the people I work with, worked with. I still do. Um, But it was at that tipping point. It was like, am I going to go for this and see what, what the possibilities this could bring, or am I going to shut it down? Like it it kind of needed to go one way or the other. As you mentioned, I have a husband, I have a daughter, Um, you know, there was just so much going on. I wanted to be there for her. She was getting ready to start um, school. And so after many conversations and a lot of tears, both happy and (laughs) sad, I decided to leave my full-time job and go into coaching and training full-time. So, you know, one of the things we talk about a lot with, with Queens of Moxie is empowering women and helping them to really step into joy and live their authentic lives. Now, a huge part of doing that is overcoming fear and there's fear on so many levels. You know, it's fear of failure, fear of, fear of what people are going to think of you, fear of putting it out there and then being committed and, and, you know, all, you know, not to mention having a steady paycheck, having retirement, having health insurance, all of those things. So talk to us about how you overcame fear. You know, I'm still doing it. <laughs> I get that. I think that's part of it is realizing that 
you know, I don't know that we were meant to live fearless life. Like, you know, I think we just, we need to be here for all of, like, I'm ready to be here for all of it. Yeah. Um, and one of the things, you know, a couple of the things, one is I went to like, what's the worst case scenario? Okay. Because I think a lot of times we let fear stop us. Well, okay, go there, like go to what, what is it that you're really afraid of? And, you know, to be honest, my fear was that this would be a colossal failure. <laughs> I would never get another client. I would not make any money. Okay. And if that happened, have a wonderful career to lean back on. And I'm not saying, you know, I don't know that that association would take me back, but I have a pretty good resume. I would get a job somewhere. And I think letting ourselves go there, like we, we almost don't want to go there to that worst case scenario, but we also then let it swirl into something that's actually way worse. Right. Right. So I was just like, you know what, I'm going to give it, you know, a year or two years, I'm going to give it this long. And if I don't like it, or it doesn't work out the way I wanted, I'll go back to getting, yeah. a, you know, go back to another job. So I think that was part of it. And then the flip side is like, what is the best case scenario? Yes. And am I willing to risk the worst case scenario to get the best? Yeah. And I was, you know, to be able to work, you know, to set my own hours and to be able to go. I mean, just this morning, I went and volunteered for two hours at my daughter's school. And, you know, I just, I got to do those things and, um, and I'm helping people like some of the feedback I get from my clients. I'm like, that was worth it. If I go back to a full-time role tomorrow, this was worth it to be able to support these women. I'm sure you see that in your your Queens of Moxie. So I think part of it is just realizing that fear is not a, um, it's not an end all be all like you know, it's, it's just one more thing. It's one more emotion in the encyclopedia of emotions that we feel as humans and you get to decide what you want to do with it. And so it's not just saying, you know, oh yeah, I was courageous and brave every step of the way. Nope. Fear walked right with me and still does. Yeah, of course it does. Of course it does. Um, and I think that's part of what drives us too. is, is, um, you know, you're not the kind of person that would just lay around all day. I know that about you, but I think also knowing you get the opportunity to make this or not make it. And that Mm -hmm. helps to propel you to get up and do the things that you need to do and create those lists and, and work through work the process. So, you know, what, what were the tangible things that you did to move it from this conceptual phase to a reality. Okay. You got a client, you got a couple clients, you're doing this. Like if someone were to, to listen to this and go, Oh, I want to do that. What, what would, what would be some of the things that they should think about? Yeah. So I think a couple of the things I thought about is who is it that I want to serve? So I had gotten some women who had come to me and wanted help and I loved working with them and continue to work with some of them. But when I narrowed down, like if I could handpick ideal clients, like what would that look like? Um, And I, you know, some people will say you don't need to do these things, but, you know, I did some of the like back end logistics. I set up a website. I had a Facebook page and an Instagram page, letting people kind of, I put my shingle out, so to speak, and let them know that I was there. And then I decided like, who, where can I connect and where can I provide some value? Mm -hmm. And for me, that was my local chamber of commerce. 
So getting plugged in with them. And that was, you know, one of those events is where I met you, but that started about a year ago. I went to a couple events. I joined as a member. I offered, you know, Hey, I think that this, you know, I could do this training for free. I was one of your lunch and learns and, and it has just snowballed from there. So I think one of the big things is not just thinking it's thinking where you want to go, obviously, but also where can you give and where can you give value? Because that value is only going to come back to you. You might have no idea what it looks like. And I will tell you, it has come back to me in ways that I had no idea. Um, and I think with that then is just being open to like the how. I, again, I have, I thought I would do it all one-on-one -on -one clients. And then I was going to have this program that I sold. Well, that program has evolved. I do have one-on-one -on -one clients and I've got this whole speaking thing on the side here too. So just being able to, um, to get, again, give that value and, and being open to it along the yeah. way. I think those are the biggest things. And I, I even have a post about this. It's almost takes me back to when we were in like elementary and middle school and we did science fair projects and you had your little like three tiered board, like you make a hypothesis and you go test it. Like where I have stumbled the most is trying to get it exactly right. Oh. Um, and I, again, it's still something that I struggle with. I, I see myself like, okay, but what's the right way to do this? Mm -hmm. Just try, like make your hypothesis and, and go for it and then iterate like, okay, that was it. Or, oh, not it, not it. <laughs> like, and then you change and you try a new hypothesis. So I would say, you know, ideal client or, or who you think it might be not being attached to your decisions. And then where can you give value? And a lot of times that's through various groups um, and they can be more formal groups like a chamber or informal groups. I know you're in Richmond. I'm sure there's a ton of like informal groups that people could join. Right, right. So, and I, I'm actually in Charlottesville, but you're close. Oh, Charlottesville, sorry. <laughs> it's Charlottesville, all good. It's all good. I love Charlottesville. I, I should have kept, I should have known that. No, 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 don't worry about it. So tell us about your biggest aha moment and also tell us about your biggest, oh, that, that didn't work. Yeah. Um. So I think my biggest aha moment was when I realized that I was looking for the right answer everywhere. And that that was like, that was my, that was my MO. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I was a really good student in school. I was valedictorian. I collected all the gold stars and in school and through college, that's by getting the right answer, you know, um, so I, I took that with me and I think a lot of us do, mm -hmm. um, and so when I would find myself, you know, not having a good month or spinning my wheels on a program and putting it out there or a webinar, and I've been working on it now for three months and it's still not law, you know, when I got down and got honest with myself, it was that I was looking for the right answer. And a lot of that came back to your point of fear. Like if I can get the right answer, it's going to go really well and I don't have to worry about anything. Yeah. So there's no off-ramp to the human experience. So we have to be here for all of it. And sometimes that's not going to go well, but the only way to know that is to just keep going um, and to not search for that one right thing. So that's been my biggest aha and continues to 
come back up for me. Yeah. Um, my biggest, oh no, I'm sure there have been many, but one that comes to mind, and this is a great, I, I hope that people really hear this because I think it goes to show just how hard we can be on ourselves. I, one of my first speaking gigs, now granted, I used to travel the country speaking to police chiefs, but I had another company behind my name. And so when I started doing this on my own, it was like, I, I felt like I was starting from scratch and it felt very different to me. Um, so my first paid speaking engagement, I rewrote my script. Well, first of all, I had a script. I don't often have a script. I'll have bullet points maybe, yep. you know, but no, no, no. I, I decided I needed a script. That should have been red flag number one. <laughs> I rewrote my script no less than a dozen times. Oh, wow. And so I was all over the place. I just, I want, again, I was looking for that right answer. I psyched myself out. The group I was speaking to was very diverse in terms of like background. It was um, a group, it was a, a, a town. And so it was all their different employees. Um, and so I psyched myself out and I felt like it was an astronomical flop. <laughs> and when I came out of it, you know, I was just like, I can't believe, you know, like, why did that go so badly? And looking back again, we don't often want to evaluate because we don't, we think we'll just judge ourselves, but it can be really helpful. I realized that again, I was looking for the right answer when I already had it. Right. I knew what I wanted to say. Like I, if I had just let myself go with my normal format, my bullet points, trust in the process to, you know what, maybe it wouldn't have gone perfectly, but trust that it, yeah. it would work out. Yeah. It would have been very different. Now, all that to say a year plus has gone by. I just did, um, hosted a training workshop and I had someone from that initial group sign up for it. And she was like, I was here for it. When I saw you were doing this, I was here for it. And I'm like, okay, maybe it was as bad right. <laughs> as I thought, but again, that's how we're hard on ourselves, but it, it wasn't as good as it could have been because I didn't trust myself and I didn't, I didn't lean in and let it be uncomfortable. Right. You know, I was trying to solve for the discomfort and in it, I made it so much worse. Well, you know, and, and I think, um, I, I often say I'm a recovering perfectionist and, um, I, oh my gosh. And my poor, my, my poor children have inherited that from me. And I, it, it breaks my heart. Cause I look at them, I'm like, no, you don't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be perfect. And I, you know, I, when you, when you live that life and you demonstrate that, kind of hard to say you don't have to to strive for that when when that's what you yourself have done um and I think that as women we tend to be really really hard on ourselves and feel like we've got to be everything to everyone and it's all gotta you know like right now it's the holiday season when this airs it'll be January but it's still going to be fresh on everyone's mind about what your ideal holiday is and whether or not that plays out. And mm -hmm. it's that whole idea of, you know, I often say we got to rest in the pause. Yes, I and love that. We've got to just rest in it. And it's that same idea of we have so much going for us and we need to just rest in that knowledge that we're good 
that we are exactly where we're supposed to be. We are doing exactly what we're supposed to be doing. And you, you know what? You're awesome just the way you are. And and I think that's hard for people mm -hmm. to hear and accept. It's kind of like that. Oh, I really love your dress. Oh, I just got it on sale at blah, blah, blah. You know, like what's wrong with us that we can't say, thank you. That's it. Yeah. You know, <laughs> smile, say thank you and, and stop talking. That's what we should do, you know? Yep. So how do you get rid of those or how do you cope with, because I don't know you ever get rid of those uh, perfectionist thoughts, those imposter syndrome thoughts, those things that tear us down internally um, that, that are working against us. So I think the first step is recognizing just what you said, that they are thoughts mm. that are optional. Yeah. I think a lot of times we report them like the news. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and that's just not the case. Like that we have to curate this perfect holiday experience that, you know, clearly they must have hated my presentation. I could have done so much better. Like all of those sentences that we serve up are optional. And I think that really is the first step. It doesn't make it easy to just delete them, right. <laughs> but recognizing that they're coming from us. Right is, is really powerful because then you have the opportunity to change them. Um, and I think, you know, when we're reporting them like the news, then now it's all outside of us and what, what can you do? So I really think that's the biggest one yeah. to your point, because you're always going to be coping. Like those sentences are still going to come yeah. hard. Things are still going to happen. Right. So if you can pause, like you said, and be like, okay, what am I thinking about this? What am I making it mean? Yeah. Who am I being in this? Do I, do I want to change the way I'm thinking? I think that can be really powerful, but you have to create that little bit of space. Like you said, and I think that's what the pause really lets us do is be like, okay, let me breathe, right. recognize that these are thoughts that are creating emotions within me and then making me act a certain way. Let me back it up and kind of change what I'm thinking about this. I don't have to jump to sunshine and rainbows. Right but I can jump to something that maybe is a little more supportive of me. Well, I, I, it's that idea that would you talk to your friend the way you talk to yourself? I mean, would I, you talk to like five-year-old you? That uh, way? Oh my gosh, no, right? Like, or even someone you don't like, I wouldn't talk to them the way I talk to myself. And so I think we need to really pause and listen to that internal dialogue because the reality mm -hmm. is, we are in our own brains more than anywhere else. So we, we keep our company with ourselves far more than anyone else. Yes. So we need to like really stop and go, hmm, I'm not being very kind to myself right now. Yeah. So, you know, we're talking about perfectionism. We're talking about the standard that we hold ourselves to. We're talking about that internal dialogue. One of the things that I've heard um, a lot lately in the work that I've been doing is trusting and you talked about that earlier and and trusting in the process trusting yourself trusting that you're where you're supposed to be trusting that the universe has your good intentions in mind and that when you are when you get out of your own way when you are able to do the things that you can do and then turn things over and trust that it's going to work out it's it's it is like a weight lifted off of you 
when yeah. you can you can sit in that space and say not sure how this is going to work out but i believe that it's going to be good mm-hmm. you know talk about that a little i think it's i think it's twofold i think it's that and also if it's not good trusting that you can handle it mm-hmm. um you know i i spoke a little bit when we were at the symposium together about being a little bit delusional and i think that that's where we feel like we have to go and that seems very unreasonable it feels very irresponsible to trust ourselves like who are we to trust if you've never done it before i think that it's a very powerful place and i think it's a muscle that once you get there i think there's people who just are amazing at trusting themselves but when it's new it feels like this being delusional and you know i think that we get to choose our delusion like it somehow has become socially acceptable to be negative delusional to worry and to not trust ourselves and to see all of the you know bad things that could happen and I'm only one person how could I trust just myself you know who's I mean that's also using your imagination yeah to go there and so what if you just tried flipping it a little bit. And again, for some reason, it's socially acceptable to do the other. And a lot of times we're told we're getting too big for our britches or, you know, who are you to think that? Well, I think that's where it takes a a movement, you know, like your Queens of Moxie, like, you know, my clients coming together to say, you know what, we can do this Mm -hmm. and it doesn't hurt anyone. In fact, it makes people a whole lot more amazing. Um, You know, we we got to hear um, at the symposium, a a small business owner, um, she owns the Buttercup, and she has created kind of a movement within her stores and her community of people, of women, particularly feeling very empowered by what they wear and having clothes that fit and look amazing on them. And again, what bad is coming from this? But for some reason we hold ourselves back. And so I think that trust is just, is just that a scene, you know what I, I can like, what if, what if I trust myself and this is amazing. Right. And you know what, if I don't, if I trust myself and my hypothesis is incorrect, I can keep going. I can trust myself to be resilient. Yeah. So, you know, it it is not a place that we're taught to go to frequently, but I think it's one muscle that you can start with small things and and work your way up. I agree. And, you know, I, I come from a family of worriers. I really do. And I am confident that there are members of my family who think that I'm not in touch with reality, you know? Um, (laughs) And I think that they look at me and they're like, especially, you know, I had this, this traumatic car accident, my head was split open, I had a traumatic brain injury. And I, you know, like, people are like, you have a really good attitude about it. I'm like, well, yeah. You know, I mean, like, yes, I could sit there and I could list all the ways in which my life is different. That Mm -hmm. is, is hard. You know, like, there are things that I'm never going to be able to do again. Mm Okay. Yeah, but look at all the things I do get to do and, and look at how having this, this experience freed me to step into joy, mm-hmm. to live my authentic life, to stop and go, you know what? I, I really wasn't very happy doing the things that I was doing. I was doing it because society said, Mary Kay, you should be doing this. 
And this gave me that space to say, there's another option. And you know what? There are actually lots of options. And mm -hmm. like you said earlier, okay, I try it. And if it doesn't work, you adjust your sales, you know, mm -hmm. okay, that, that wasn't effective or, you know, whatever. Um, but it's, it's like the, there's, I love, love, love quotes. So I have quotes all over the place. And, and the, the, the book that I've written, um, that I'm going to hopefully publish in the next year, yay, um, it's filled with quotes. They're, they're quotes about how at the end of your life, do you want to look back and say, I wish I'd done that? Or mm -hmm. do you want to look back and say, damn, I did that, you know? And I tell you what, yep. I want to be in that latter half. I want to yeah. be the one that says, damn, I can't believe I did that. Yeah. Wow. That was amazing. You know? And, and so I think that sometimes when you have a, a major life event, for me, it was my car accident, someone else, it might be a divorce. It might be a death in the family. It could be a loss of a job. It could be a health issue, whatever it might be. I think there's a moment where you stop and you go, huh, am I where I really want to be? Am I doing the things that I really want to be doing? And if your answer is no, then what are the small steps that you can take to make a difference? What are the things that you can infuse in your life that are going to bring you joy? They're going to let you be who you are because some of this is recognizing, hey, you know what? I, and I say it all the time. So anybody who listens to this podcast knows that I say it constantly. I'm loud. I'm independent. I'm going to name the elephant in the room. Like I, I, I just am. And I used to shrink away from that, even though I couldn't really stop it. I used to shrink away from it. And yeah. now I'm at the point where I'm like, you know what? Those things are what motivate people. Those are the things that keep people excited. Those are the things that help me to be a strong inspirational speaker, a strong woman, a strong leader. And so instead of going, oh my gosh, I'm too much, mm -hmm. fill in the blank. I'm like, I am, you know, and you stand up proud and you recognize I bring value the way that I am. But it yeah. is, it is such a mind shift, Becky. I mean, you know, like, and it took for me, unfortunately, getting in that accident for me to stop. And, you know, my goal with Queens of Moxie is let's make those changes without having these dramatic events. <laughs> yes, it's true. Well, and I think you bring up a good point. Like the world serves us up trains to get on. Mm -hmm. And they, they're, some of them are really fast trains and they're really fancy trains and they're taking you great places. But if you're you and you jump on the quiet train and the quiet car, you can't figure out why, like I'm trying, it's taking me somewhere that other people on this car seem to be happy that we're going there, right. but it's not my car. Yeah. And so it takes that really intention. You know what? I'm jumping off this train. Yep. And there's, and trusting a, that you can handle it and that there's going to be other trains. Like it's time to find the car that's for you. That's going to the place you want to go to, not just everybody on that train. Right. And I think we hear so often, like, you know, letting go of the things that don't serve you and blah, blah, blah. But sometimes you have to let go of the things that are okay. Right. They're not ruining you. They're not, you know, they're not great, but they're fine. You got a decent job. You've got right. this, you've got that. It's letting go of the meh 
Exactly. Or the okay, or mm-hmm. the even the good. Right. And who wants to let go of the good for the unknown? unknown. But oh my gosh, what if you got on that train where everyone else is loud and having the party of your life? And you don't, you get to be who you want to be and you're going to the place you've always wanted to go to. Like, yes, hallelujah. But it's scary. And, it you know, is. again, I think it's just that the world does serve us. You know, we're, we're not standing still. We're jumping on these trains and sometimes it's hard to get off. Yeah, yeah. But I love the idea. And you said this earlier of it's not the, oh, what what if all these things happen? It's, it's the, yeah, but what if, and it's a positive thing, like, Instead of thinking about all the really bad things that could happen, think about all the really amazing things that could happen. Like, wow, I start this podcast and all of a sudden I am helping thousands of women around the world. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. I get to go and I speak internationally to tell women about how they have the power within themselves to live this life. Wow. That's amazing. Like, these are the things that we need to focus on. These are the things that we need to go. I, I I see, I can see where I'm going and it is, it is not just good. It is great. Yeah. And I, I, oh my gosh, I have this opportunity and it's that total mind shift of, you know, like don't carry an umbrella around on a sunny day waiting for it to rain. Yeah. You know, like that's the mentality of worry instead celebrate it is sunny and glorious and fabulous right now it's expanding possibility like okay yes. I'm on this train and everybody's quiet and I guess this is where I got to be too maybe there's something else maybe there is a way I can be me and have this huge ripple effect I mean thank goodness for you like I loved your talk at that symposium and I am sure that there were so many women that took even just a little nugget of that and were like something changed, something clicked, even that 1% that is now putting them on a different path. Like if we didn't have that, well, darn, (laughs) look at all these people that are now not going to have that. So I think if we can see that again, get a little big for our britches and see that Mm -hmm. what we want to do, and it doesn't have to mean start your own business. It could be, you know, have that conversation, try that new hobby, do the thing, like who knows what impact that may have. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I, I want to be careful and sensitive to your time and to listeners. And so I like to leave asking if there's anything that you would recommend to the listeners. And it can be about anything. It can be about seizing the day. It could be about living authentically. It could be about being brave, whatever it is. What what piece of advice would you give to our listeners? I think, and it's one we've talked about already, but I think it is not taking every sentence that your brain serves up to you as gospel truth and questioning just a little bit, you know, what am I making this mean? Who do I want to be? You know, asking yourself better questions. Cause a lot of times we, we ask ourselves lots of questions. (laughs) What are you going to do if that messes up? Why couldn't you have done better? Why didn't you know better? Like, no, like really think about what, what you want to put in and what you want to come out because we do, we are conditioned to just take all of those thoughts and a lot of them are not nice, but you don't have to, you can, you can thank that thought. You can, you know, whoever, you know, we all deal with it differently. I'm not one of those, but you know, you can say, Oh, yep. There it is again. (sighs) My brain loves to serve that up. 
And here's what I'm going to remember instead. And so just creating, as you mentioned, creating that pause so that you're not taking every thought and running with it. You're taking some of them and setting them to the side and creating new ones. So really recognize that your brain is not the boss of you and you get to think what you want to think. I love that. I love that. Oh, Becky, it's so nice to talk to you. I am so grateful for your time and your wisdom and um, just your energy. It, it it fills a room and it makes people happy and uh, and and your insights are fabulous. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. I'm glad our paths crossed and this has been wonderful. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on the Queens of Moxie podcast. I hope that you found it inspirational and that it helps you to think about how you can step into joy and live your authentic life. And remember, we have a weekly email so that you don't miss any of these episodes. Plus, it starts your Monday out with an inspirational quote and a beautiful image. If you haven't subscribed yet, go to queensofmoxie.com and click on weekly inspiration. Thanks again for joining us and we'll see you again next week.